welcome to the Stalk My podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my four-year-old daughter. Series five of the podcast is dedicated to donor conception. I speak to a range of donor-conceived people as well as experts on donor conception to cover a range of topics on this subject. So before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to share with you my latest exciting news, which is that I have started my own solo parent newsletter. So my thriving solo members will get a monthly newsletter as part of their membership. And that is going to cover everything that is going on this month, a reminder of some of the events we're doing, what resources are available, what everyone's talking about, some good podcasts episodes to listen to, just a real signposting to all of the good stuff that I come across and the great people who are speaking in this area. So that is going out. The first one has gone and it will be going out monthly. For those who are not thriving solo members, I'm also going to be sending a much shorter version of that newsletter. Um, And if you would like to get that, you can sign up on my Stalk and I website. If you go to thestalkandi.com, scroll down, there is a section where you can subscribe and you will have some of the information um, that I share with my thriving solo members on there. The other thing I would like to update you on is just a reminder of some of the amazing live events that we've had over the last month and some of the ones that are coming up. If you go to members.thestalkandi.com forward slash webinar library, and I'll put the link in the show notes, you can see all of the amazing things that have happened that are now available on Catch Up and also what is coming. Um, so there's been some really great sessions that have got some really good feedback. In today's episode of the podcast, I speak to Emma, who is a recipient parent to her nine-month-old daughter conceived using sperm donation. Emma used the Seattle Sperm Bank to help her conceive, and she shares with us her amazing experience of being connected with the other families who've used the same sperm donor. Emma, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Um, So I'm really excited to talk to you today about finding donor siblings, but before we get into that, would you like to give yourself an introduction? Absolutely. Um, My name is Emma, Emma McLaren, and I am a Canadian, um, and I live in Santa Cruz, California, and I've been here for about four years. Um, I've had a variety of careers before I landed in Santa Cruz and have traveled to over 60 countries and spent lots of time um, traveling. And last year in the middle of the pandemic, at the end of May, I decided that I had given up on dating and I was 38 and was ready to be a mom. Um, had always really wanted to be a mom, but hadn't quite gotten there. And um, I was out camping and decided that um, I was ready to at least start exploring. So June 2nd, I opened a journal and started doing all the research. And um, I conceived through a donor um, around Labor Day in September was when I found out I was pregnant. And then my daughter, Ren, was born on May 25th. 
it's almost exactly a year after I kind of decided to do this, which is quite a short timeline for lots of people, but that tends to be the way that I live my life. I kind of throw myself into things and absolutely no regrets. It's scary. It's been harder than I thought it was going to be, but um, she's amazing and she'll be eight months this week um, and just thriving um, as we are together. And um, yeah, so single mom and just trying to make the best of, um, of the choice that I made. And uh, yeah, so far so good. Amazing. And so you live in California. Do you have any support network there at all? No. So um, having traveled to many, many countries and also lived, I lived in London for a while. I lived in Canada for a while um, and I was looking for somewhere to live. And Santa Cruz is an amazing place. But I didn't know a single person when I landed here about four years ago. And I've built some support. The pandemic was definitely a um, hindrance to building stronger connections. And um, yet, you know, I've got mom groups, the birth mom postpartum support in Santa Cruz is actually amazing. We have some of the best midwives in the world, and it just happens to be this really lovely community. So no family, and I would say some friends. Um, and some better friends, um, which has been nice, but no, largely on my own. Um, I've been able to take the time off. So I've been able to take something of a maternity leave, um, given what I did before, um, I gave birth and I ran a company and did a number of things. So I've been able to set myself up quite nicely, but it's just me. Um, for the most part and she hasn't met her grandparents yet and she hasn't met her aunt yet she's met some of her her godparents which are my cousins um, we went to Texas at the beginning of um, January and actually met one of the Diblings which was also an amazing coincidence as we get into that but she hasn't met a lot of her family and I've had to do it myself so um, yeah, and it will be reassuring in some ways for people to hear that because you spoke so positively at the beginning about your experience. And a lot of people, I know I'm in a very fortunate position that I have a lot of help from my parents and a lot of people say, ah, but you've got so much help. I haven't got that help. Is it still possible? And I know it is possible because I've got lots of friends who don't have the help, but it is reassuring to hear from somebody who says, you know, I am doing it pretty much on my own and it's, um, it's hard, <laughs> but it's, it's possible and we're having a good time. And like uh, every night, right? So she's eight months. So every every night right like and um i was going to share that just lately as i've been waking up she's been really good she wakes up maybe once a night maybe twice a night last night or whatever but sometimes i roll over and i'm like you go get her no you go get her no i got her don't worry about it right like just just kind of joking with the fact that like no of course it's me right and doing all things i have what's called a nanny share which is with a friend and so one lovely woman takes care of two um two babies around the same age two times a week for four hours. So I get eight hours a week, which is right now. And I get some help then, but that only started maybe two months ago when she was about six months. 
And I feel very honoured that you're spending one of those precious hours talking to me. So thank you very much. It's funny. There are a lot of things I don't do when she's not with me because there's a lot of things, you know, I don't do any sort of like chores or anything at the house when she's not there. I just do it with her so that, yeah, um, yeah. there's a lot of rules I've stated and put into place. Yeah. I, um, I feel like I can, you know, get by and she's amazing. I mean, she's come, I had to do a license renewal at the DMV. I've gone to the dentist, you know, I've been to the doctor for myself. I, you know, go to the bank. I do all these things and she just, she just comes with me. You can just make it happen. It's funny because I was, um, I don't want to say complaining, but maybe complaining to my mum the other day to say, do you know that I have done bath time and bedtime on my own every single night since before Christmas? And my mum was like, well, it is your daughter, Mel. (laughs) It's like, yeah, good point. But like, it's so relentless just every single night. Um, But actually my daughter's having a sleepover with my mum today. So that's like, the first time that's happened in a long time have you got any plans to to see the family yeah I do COVID is a challenge and then like international uh, and then also I do not go to Canada or the east coast when there is snow so Ah. um, I didn't make it before the snow um, and so I will not make it after I wanted to say one more thing about that that I thought was hilarious so I was organizing some sort of diaper exchange thing with one of my friends and I was like, you know, I don't know what to do. And she's like, I don't know, talk to my husband. He's the diaper manager. And I thought, I don't need a husband. I just need a diaper manager. So <laughs> I don't think that that's a job, but I just, um, there's occasional moments like that where, you know, doing bedtime every night, doing sleep right every night. And then occasionally you get from your, you know, kind of cisgendered normative relationship friends that, Um, one of them's the diaper manager and I think yeah that's so funny I was talking with my friends last night uh, to say I actually don't think I am looking for a partner I need a chef a personal assistant uh you know you need the jobs (laughs) but that's not an attractive (laughs) right the cleaner cleaner, yeah yeah. laundry laundry doer yeah or just something like that I know and it's funny because it's it is the stuff that you need, right? Like it's um, yeah. sharing the load a bit, isn't it? Sharing the load. Uh, sometimes yeah. I forget how long it's been and also looking back at those first uh, like six weeks and um, in particular, I just, uh, I had quite a bit of help and I had a meal train, which is very popular here where people bring you food on like a good schedule and Amazing. Lots of support from my distance friends and family. I actually am very family oriented, even though I live in a place where my family doesn't live. Um, So they helped from from afar. Um, I had, yeah, I had lots of help from afar, but nobody to kind of come and do the dishes. Yeah, yeah. So we connected because I was sharing that I had been speaking to quite a few donor conceived people. And in general, it seemed that they were quite supportive of trying to find donor siblings. a lot of them said to me because they they were obviously older they're adults themselves I think there wasn't so many people um, choosing this path to parenthood and when they grew up they didn't know anybody else at all who was conceived in this way Um, never mind anyone who maybe had the same genetics as them and so yeah a lot of them said that they think 
it would be a really positive experience to have found siblings earlier. Um, and that sort of motivated me. I'd made some vague attempts to see if my daughter had any siblings. In the UK, you can write to the HFEA and they tell you the number, the year they were born and the sex. And so I know that information. And that's worse now because I'm like, now I know that there are other children out there. So have been doing some marketing, if you like, to say, look, this is how we're trying to see if we can find any donor siblings from people who use the same clinic as me. And um, yeah, I think you saw that and said that you had been successful in finding them. So I just wanted to find out a bit more from you about how you'd gone about that and what experiences you'd had. So where, where did it all start? So um, I love this part of my life with Ren so unexpected. I didn't even think about it. It wasn't something that I thought about going into it that she, there, there would be other, you know, donor children from the same donor. Um, and because I don't have a lot of family where I am, and I have a sister who doesn't have any kids, um, and I have some cousins who have kids, but she's gonna have a small family. She's potentially not gonna have siblings, like from me, I haven't decided yet, but you know, I'm 40. So whether or not I have another. And so I can remember um, over the summer, kind of, you know, a few months after she was born, just being very, very sad about the fact that she was going to be on her own and that she wasn't going to have any siblings um, and, or any cousins or anything like that. And yeah, it made me sad. And I guess that that is part of the choice, right? I'm a single mom and then I have, right? And my friends and family, you're enough, Emma, you're enough, Emma, you're enough. Um, that said, so I used one of the sperm banks on the West Coast. I used the Seattle Sperm Bank and I purchased two vials of the donor. Um, let's call him Jack because that's not his name, even his fake name. And so I had two vials of Jack and I did an IUI and I was successful on my second IUI, um, which is a big part of my story as well. I was never infertile. I was just single. Um, and so at a lot of the clinics, they treat you as infertile when you go in. And I had to kind of advocate for myself. Um, and I realized that actually after, you know, two tries. So it was good. And when Ren was born, I registered her birth at the Seattle Sperm Bank, which is part of the process that you can do. Again, this, le this leads to their statistics and understanding, you know, their donors. Again, these donors are screened like, I know more about this donor than I know about anybody else in the entire world. Like it was just so thorough. And so, so, so I, I had to register my the birth with my clinic. So did you have to do the clinic and the sperm bank or was it just the sperm bank that you I don't know if I did? I probably did both. I can't remember yeah. now, but the clinic didn't lead to anything. I probably did, but they weren't such a big part of my journey. Okay. It, it because I didn't have a long journey, a long True. drawn out process, right? Mm. My clinic, there was nobody in the town I live in. I had to go what's called over the hill into San Jose into Silicon Valley where they had more clinics. And, you know, I went maybe four or five times and actually I had to decline. They wanted to do a lot more testing. 
um, a lot of more screening and I declined it saying that I don't need that, you know, like, um, and so they weren't, I didn't have, so yes, I'm sure I did tell them that I got pregnant. Right. And I don't need them anymore, but obviously the sperm and this, you know, um, the sperm bank was the ones who provided this and they were because, you know, it took a while to find the donor, right. Jack was, um, was definitely a standout donor, but it took me a while to choose him. And anybody right. goes through this, it's quite a lovely process. And we won't get into it because I know you've talked about that on your podcast before, but it's really fun. I had to bring in backup to like help, you know, choose. But um, but I ended up choosing Jack and then I wrote and I said, I conceived, this is when I conceived. Um, sorry, I, I delivered, I gave birth, whatever. This is when when Ren was born. Um, successful and she's beautiful and perfect and all those things and they led me to a database or a kind of chat room database to connect me with other families who use the same donor interesting so they actually facilitated it to happen then everything so you go in double blind essentially right I became jack I think I was jack six maybe Jack seven. And I was connected with Jack one, Jack two, Jack three. Um, and it didn't occur to me that those numbers related to the families. Right. And it's actually, they say, you know, if you want to do this and others want to do this, do you want to connect? And I will, I will shout out to Katie and that's her real name. I'll shout out to Katie. Cause she is, um, the woman who kind of, I think she's, she's Jack one, um, or Jack zero, I think. Um, mm-hmm. and her son is the eldest who just turned two. Um, and she reached out and was like, would you be interested in like connecting kind of more, less anonymously, more kind of, hi, how are you? Um, and I was like, absolutely. And again, I had literally had like a cry the week before about this like small family, not knowing that there was this huge, beautiful family for my daughter. Um, and so Katie connected me into the, into the chat. Um, we have an iMessage chat. And at that point there were, um, I'm just, just making sure I get the numbers right. Seven, eight. So there were eight of us, including myself, eight families. Wow. Um, and hold on, is that right? There is a set of triplets. So the trips. So I'm just trying to make sure one, two, three, four. Yeah, so there are eight families, but they're actually um, 12 diblings altogether. Um, yeah. But Katie brought us together, and we'll get to that. But Katie brought us together into a chat, and we just, you know, I would wake up in the morning. Um, I'm on the West Coast, they're all on the East Coast, all in the US, all US based across the US. And there would be like 400 notifications on my messaging because while I was sleeping or, you know, before I woke up or whatever, it would be just this like chat, 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 chat. Um, and I couldn't believe it. It was, yeah, it just blew up. And I, my mind was blown and it was, you know, and you look at the babies and you think, oh, look, those are Ren's eyes. And oh, look, those are the, like her teeth and like, or her cheeks or whatever, right? It just, um, one of her sisters, um, they look so much alike. Really? So yes. Yeah, so that was so that was in July. So Ren was May to June, June to July. Ren was about two months old. Wow. When I was brought into 
the community. And um, it just happened overnight. You're just like, uh, hi, here's all the rest of, you know. The they had been connected. And I don't think yeah. they had been that actively connected, although I, you know, I, I think that they had done some of the introductions. Yeah. Um, there is a, a, a strong concentration around when Ren was born. So within about those two months between, let's say, April and July, five of the babies, I think, or five right. or six of the babies were born. Uh, when I joined, one of the moms was still pregnant. And so she hadn't actually given birth yet. And what is the family setup of them? Is it um, a, a, a real mixture? It's a real mixture. Um, there is one couple, um, there, are, there are two heterosexual couples. Yes. I'm going to try not to be as politically correct as I can here. There are two yeah. heterosexual couples who used a donor to conceive within the family. And yeah. then there are a number of gay women. It's actually, there's no gay men couples, gay women couples. And in the last month, after we had thought we had closed the bubble and we were all excited that we had had closed this bubble, we found a new mom and she is a single mom by choice. So oh. I was delighted that she came um, a little bit later. Again, I don't know quite all the behind the scenes things of how that happened, but we had thought we were, you know, um, closed because the donor is no longer available. Right. Um, only available for siblings. And some of the families have vials or some of them actually have embryos and some of them have, right, like various um, iterations of the donor. But we had thought we had this closed, but this new mom showed up and she's a single mom by choice. So there's two single mom by choice, two kind of heteronormative heterosexual couples, and then three um, gay women couples. Amazing. Because you hear these stories of people who w find that you've got hundreds of donor siblings. I is that not possible in this case because there was just a, a certain amount and now it's gone? Yeah, and it definitely is a joke with some of my friends and family, especially now that there was a new mom who came in kind of in the last month. It's like, well, then how many, right? How many more? And there's that famous, you know, Starbucks and all of that. So um, it's, it's not the case. There are some kind of rules and regulations around that. And, you know, I don't know at what point I would feel weirded out by it. Right. So there will be 12, right? Um, we actually have one in the making, as they say. So we have a new dibbling in the making. So there'll be 12 of us by the end of this year that we know of, including Ren. That's a great number. That's lovely, right? That's like a soccer team or a football <laughs> team or whatever. Um, but, you know, what if all of a sudden it became 30 mm. or 60, right? Um, there's a part of me that thinks it's wonderful, but yes, I wonder if it gets any more. That said, I do not believe that the donor was allowed to. The one caveat to that, which I don't know the rules and regulations around, is could he have donated at different sperm banks? Yeah. yeah. Right? So could he have somehow donated at the various sperm banks? Um, and then that would lead to other donors 
children that we don't know of because they're not registered in the Seattle Sperm Bank? So I love that the Seattle Sperm Bank are doing this um, and, and I'm a massive advocate to all sperm banks to do the same. Um, did, did, you, did they give you any information about like when did they set this up? Why are they doing it? How long? Do you know any of the backgrounds or no, just that they offer it? No, just that they offer it. And, <laughs> you know, I might have looked into it a little bit more, but all of a sudden it's eight months later and I, <laughs> and I haven't. Um, and so I don't know very much about it. And so that would be something that um, listeners could look into um, if they were curious or how long they've been doing it. And it was a really, really easy process. You know, there were some like logins and things like that, but it was really, really quite simple that I could do in my two month postpartum brain, right, as a single mom. To, to manage if they had, if it had been too cumbersome it might have been something that had been that that kind of went on the to-do list and didn't get done for anybody who's you know a two-month-old is a lot they're always a lot of work but it, yeah a lot of work so I don't know any more of that all I know is that it was really easy to just slip in there and then all of a sudden I was connected and tapped into um, this wonderful community. I think I might contact them to find out more about it yeah. because I would love to work with some of the other sperm banks particularly mine <laughs> the one i use to, to say look like look at how great this uh, you know this experience has been for people so what have you done so far then is it just been messaging or like what sort of interactions have you had so yes let's talk about the diblings a little bit um and i love the term diblings you mentioned siblings and it is siblings but i like diblings because it's fun to watch people figure out why it's called dibblings. Yeah. Right? I think so then dibblings. But yeah, share. The, the, uh, the only reason that I say donor siblings is just because some donor conceived people have said they don't like the term dibblings. Um, my daughter has no say yet because she's only eight months, but that's really interesting. Yeah. So some of the adults that I've spoken to say that they don't like the term. Um, and I'm sure everyone's different and uh, some people do use it. So yeah. That's why I'm trying to and use, use the donor Yeah, yeah. Good to know. Again, I'm a huge fan of new language, changing language, evolving language, and then not labels, but just kind of new terms, new way of describing, you know, single mom by choice, for example. And I don't think it's always single mom by choice, right? There's a lot of solo, lone parenting, solo parenting, single parenting, right? Anyways. So donor yeah. siblings, I will use donor siblings okay. for this interview. <laughs> I imagine some of your previous interviewees um, might be listening. And so to respect for them, I will say donor siblings um, with pleasure. So the donor siblings, the eldest is two years old and just, just turned two. And there is another uh, donor sibling on the way in a few months. And then all the rest of us are in between there. We do a lot of text check-ins. So again, I will wake up in the morning and there'll be, you know, that 30 icon. And I, you know, I don't tend to have a lot of group chats. So I'll know that something's up because they're all babies. There's lots of talk about getting sick and breastfeeding and, you know, just general baby things. I think one thing that is a real focus is 
what do they have in common and what are some of the traits that we believe have come from the donor that haven't necessarily come from each of us although again it's hard to tell because all babies are different and yet babies share a lot of similarities so we're always trying to find things for example one of the babies um, who's younger than Ren um, was having some issues with a little bit of kind of like face acne eczema something right and so the mom was like hey guys like anybody else and of course two or three other the moms were you know sharing what they had done what worked for them whether or not that is just general baby stuff or whether that is a trait from the donor that this is more of a common and what might work um, we decided that the babies were raspberry fiends so they would do all the bubbles and blow bubbles and things like that and so when somebody said this is what my kid does they all right we all whether that that's not just something that they right it's so funny right um, yeah they love putting things on their head so we share lots of photos right and so somebody will share a photo of their kid right the baby doing something and then we've all got a photo of that as well so there are definitely things that link us um, in terms of what the babies are doing and we share a lot of photos and um and text to just have that bond you know and one of the young babies was really sick and had to go to the hospital and so we were there for the mom and you know we weren't there physically but this is you know this is our mom group in some ways right wow. and um and because they're relatively close in age and potentially share right some genetics there are you know commonalities that we have a set of triplets who were born quite premature the trips and they have had the most incredible journey just in of themselves regardless of having any donor siblings or not they are incredible and they are about exactly the same age as ren so for the rest of their lives they were born kind of within two weeks of each other and i'm so excited about that because that means you know potential birthdays and you know birthday trips um and so they, their mothers share quite a bit about their journey. And so we get lots of updates and we're all very keen to hear how um, the triplets are growing and healing, you know, um, premature babies. It's quite, it's quite a journey. Um, and so we're really keen to hear about how the triplets and then, you know, first haircuts, first walking, Ren said her first word. Um, so I shared that. So it's, you know, things that you would share with family, we share. We did a Zoom call at Christmas. No, must have been just before Christmas, maybe in December, early December. Not everybody could make it. I think something happened with the triplets and so they couldn't make it. So we had maybe about a 50%, you know, attendance, but we got to, you know, meet and do some face-to-face and then just the only in-person meeting was me and katie um katie lives um in and around or in in texas and i was in texas and um she actually lives very close to where i was going to be and so she made the effort and drove the 30 minutes with her son um, and came to meet us and so um my wren and her son met um he wasn't so sure about her. He's, you know, two. So he's like, who is this? And my daughter is very precocious and wants to hang out and play. And so 
Um, and then I got to hug Katie and, you know, be just so grateful for her and for this, um, for this community. And so that's the only in-person meeting we've had thus far. Um, and, you know, lots of talk. COVID is always a funny, you know, little, you know, wrench in the, all the plans. However, um, there is discussion of doing a group get together in like June of next of this year, I guess, um, in and around Texas, probably where there's a couple of families that aren't too far away. And I have family there that I would go and see. But we talk, you know, we talk about the future plans and, um, Jack, the donor, was a um, open ID. I can't remember all the terms. I did remember the terms when I was doing it. But so anonymous, but open ID. So when the babies turn 18, yeah, they get to contact him. Whether or not he responds or gets involved is his prerogative, but they can at least contact him. So there's a lot of discussion of that because if they're all friends or if we're all together the first person the to first then so everyone when, when the eldest turns 18 right Ren will only be 16 mm. and so how will that so we haven't gotten there yet but between yeah. now and then we do talk about um potential get-togethers and I know other you know communities like this have gotten together you know like once a year family reunion style um and so, yes, with, you know, with COVID willing, um, everybody's in the U.S., so it's quite a big country, but, you know, within reason, it's not quite international and so yeah. doable. And all the babies are about the same age. So when they're five, the difference between four months and six months and eight months is yeah. not as big of a deal, right? And so they'll all be five, six, seven, you know, it's... Um, yeah, it's going to be pretty incredible. I think. And have you, yeah, have you decided how you're going to talk to Ren about it? So like how you're going to introduce them? Um, no, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I haven't thought a lot of things through with this, with, with being a mom. Um, that was part of my commitment to myself was to not think too far ahead or my anxiety goes through the roof, thinking about schooling and thinking about, right, some of these things. And so I have no idea how I might introduce it. I, um, I've been journaling, one of those, right, I'm kind of that person. So I've been writing to Ren since before she was born. And so I've talked quite a lot about the Diblings in the journal. That said, she's not going to read the journal when she's five or six, right? Yeah. If and when she meets them, it's like the, this is your sister, but not quite your sister, but your sister. How all the other families talk about it is unclear. Um, that said, folks like yourself and like some of this other space have a lot of really lovely resources and books. So I know a number of the other, I know a couple of the other moms have already purchased books around seed and donor and yeah. um, how to introduce so we're not you know we're not the first families to be able to do that it will be interesting around the donor sibling piece so there's right there's the donor piece yeah and then there's the donor sibling piece right so um, how I speak about those two things I have no idea 
and um, so far Red is a genius, and so she may just figure it out on her own, or she may, you know. So I um, maybe she'll just you know sort it out on her own, and I won't have to think about it too much. But it's been very clear, you know, when we talked about siblings and donor siblings, right? Language is very powerful, mm. right? So you know, Ren's dad. Well, Ren doesn't have a dad. Ren Ren has a donor, right? Mm -hmm. And I know lots about the donor, but it's, you know, very important to me that those, that those terms, right. And, um, and so as she grows, there'll be moments at school, right. Where it's, you know, Father's Day or, you know, and again, I'm not the first mom on the planet to have to, you know, go through this. So I will do what I always do, which is look to the experiences of those before me um, and how they have handled it. Yeah. And I think there's some great resources on talking about you know the that that path to parenthood and being donor conceived and yeah how you make a baby um at different ages for them to understand so i talk um, a lot with my daughter who's just about to be four and i'm sure she understands elements of it i mean she's very clear that she hasn't got a dad um, and she says she has a donor i don't think she knows exactly what that means and what a donor is and then I think you're absolutely right. And that's exactly why I've recorded this series of the podcast about donor conception, because trying to learn from donor conceived people who can tell us how they felt about being donor conceived and the language that they want to use. And it is difficult because everyone's different. So there is, there's no universal, there's no universally agreed way to do it, but yeah, I, I, I'm interested. I think there's more resources on that side of things rather than necessarily on how to talk to young children about donor siblings, because I think historically, most donor conceived people have met siblings when they've been adults. And one of the things that lots of them have said is it would have been amazing to meet them when we were younger because we've missed out on that relationship growing up so that's why I would I'm in exactly the same situation there aren't really many other children in our family and having other children of a similar age that share genetics and have and the other thing is people I've spoken to said you know children like to be um, they don't like to be different often you know they like to fit in and if you're different from some of the families that you see around you, but you've got this other thing where you're absolutely part of it and you've got other people who you get your situation, it must, it must be so reassuring for them as they grow up to have each other that they can talk to about anything that they're going through about being donor conceived. So such a great resource for them. I'm feeling a little bit emotional. I will not just to think that... 11 right there are 11 kids that is you know 11 people she could potentially call 11 people she could go visit 11 people she could travel with 11 people who would come to her wedding or whatever she choose right 11 people you know that could be her kids her kids aunts and uncles and um i you know i I never imagined that this that this would be part of her story and it makes me just so elated just so happy because it is and she's half of me right it's very you know genetics 
She's, she's all my kid, but she is genetically half of me. And genetically, she is half the same of half these kids, right? Like it's such an interesting, just to look at it practically, yeah. that there will be some things that I don't understand about her or that I don't see myself in, right? That she will see in her siblings or that her aunties will see their kids in her, right? So to think about, you know, my relationship with the other moms as well, right? It's like this kid is driving me crazy. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. you know, yes, our kids doing the same thing yeah. because, you know, maybe that is an element of Jack, right? Of the donor who, um, who is half of her, you know? And um, it is really, yeah, I think about, I mean, I think about it a lot because many couples have will see that the child be like oh yeah that's what her father does or oh mm. that's you know that's her dad and I know the genetics of Jack but I don't know that much more right and um I don't know how many sperm banks do this but there was an audio so we were able to listen to a to an to an interview um and we all decided that the interview and one of the pictures in particular one of the baby pictures in particular basically all led us to Jack um but I don't know very much about him. And so I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. There are all these other families who also are exploring and learning about these traits and, you know, characteristics. It's so weird because it's a big family. And yet it's not what I went into this thinking. Went into this thinking it's me and my daughter against the world. And it still is. And yet she's got a huge family. And when I speak to some women, I put a poll actually on Instagram to say who will try to find donor siblings or already has and who isn't going to or is going to wait until their children want to, which is actually quite a long time. I think you'd have, to, I don't know what age your children would get the concept to be able to make that decision, but I would say it's relatively old. And it was about 50-50. So about 50% said, yes, we are interested in finding out. Most of them because they'd heard that that was what donor-conceived people said they would recommend. But 50% still were saying, no, it's not really... Well, there was different reasons for saying no. But some people were very clearly saying they're not our family. Like, genetics don't make up a family. This is what makes up a family did you just automatically feel like they felt like family or what's your view on that? So I have my nuclear family is very small. It's my sister and my two parents and, you know, each of my parents have one or two siblings. Um, and I have quite a few cousins, but I have my family because of the nuclear and to be quite honest we're not all that close and you know I don't really you know we're not we're not the you know perfect little nuclear family um, nobody is really but anyways I've had to create my family out of my friends and my girlfriends and my cousins and my father's cousins right so they're my aunties and so I've got aunties that are somewhat blood related, somewhat not blood related. And so I suppose that that's where it came from, that my, my personal 
idea of family is not just genetics either, but why not have it be genetics? Just, just it is both genetics and then also it doesn't matter. And again, like I, we have something in common and it feels like part of it is because I look at their babies and I see my daughter they're not, you know, they're not my mom's group. I have a lovely mom's group here and they feel, you know, like my sisters and, you know, like we're just, we're in it, you know, our babies are the same age, but I look at these other babies and there's my daughter, there's her, right. Her birthmark and there's her nose and there's her smile and I see my kid. And so how could they not feel like family? And so, yes, I haven't asked them all how they feel, but honestly, there's this lovely, everybody's as engaged again not not both moms right in the, a number of the couples but at least one of the moms and everybody's really engaged and so um it didn't occur to me that they wouldn't be family just because all we hold together is genetics i think that definitely might be a big part of it um more broadly for people because i'm exactly the same i think um I share in common having lived in a number of countries and and I am very close to my family but when you live in a different country you, you, you don't see them so you do make your friends your family in that situation and I always say that um, I lived in India for a year and what I learned in India everyone was so welcoming and they were like no you don't if you don't spend time on your own come round to our house we'll cook you dinner you can meet my children and my parents and my grandparents and we'll like they really want to envelope you into the family and look after you and so welcoming uh, in the UK I suppose my experience is slightly different so it really made me think oh my goodness I am very you know stereotypically British in that that was quite unusual for me and I think it really changed me and I think it really broadened my definition of family and um, I feel the same as you like if you want to be part of the family come on in you know why why not if we get on um, and if you share genetics you, you possibly to start off with already have more in common so it's like, yeah, there's never too many people. Do you know what I mean? It just, so I feel like Especially I would Especially having grown up with such a small family yeah. that, you know, I, I feel that way. And I mean, the Indian culture is, is notorious for aunties and uncles. Yeah. Everybody's your auntie and everybody's your uncle. And so yeah. when I call my dad's cousin my auntie and my cousin cousin gets like, he's like, that's not your, right? Like, it's like, no, 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 she's my auntie. And the woman who, you know, was there when I was born, who I haven't seen very often, is my auntie, right? And the women that my parents, right? The aunties, so not just aunts, but aunties. So Ren will have lots of aunties and it will be, yeah, I mean, her choice. I mean, maybe she won't like some of them or maybe I won't like some of them, right? We may not get along. There may be some conflict. There may be some, who knows, right? We have no idea what the journey, you know, holds ahead, but she'll make her own decision. And if she's anything the way that she is now, she will know exactly what she wants and she will just do it and decide and that will be that. And so maybe she'll like one of them more than the other and maybe she'll be besties with, yeah. So who knows? And I think it's it's so true because actually someone I spoke to who has got a, a big family with siblings 
said that they felt less interested in meeting any of donor siblings because they already felt like they were you know though they already were part of the family um and she actually said maybe if i didn't have siblings i would be more interested so um i think definitely lots of solo parents find ourselves in a situation where we possibly aren't going to have another for different reasons and perhaps we would have liked to in different circumstances and so actually finding these people can can really just yeah just be a joy to that that it means you feel like you are part of something bigger which which for many people is positive but you know everybody has their own ideas and I think that the, the critical thing that I've learned is that whatever our children decide but at the moment they can't make that decision because they're too young so then we have to make decisions for them right now don't we and you are making I mean every time I right what how i feed her or how she sleeps or where she right i'm making those decisions for yeah. her and so this is the decision i have made for her it was the same with the way that she was conceived this was the decision that you know that i made and when i first joined the group you know i was the only solo mom um solo mom by choice right and so i felt a little bit um, yeah, thinking i was thinking all these other donor babies were all going to be other like single moms solo moms so i still felt right like um that said they there are a couple of half siblings but generally they're all kind of only children right except for the triplets obviously they're you know triplets yeah. but they're all generally only children some with a couple of like half siblings or i don't know um haven't really gotten into all of those family dynamics but at the moment at least and most of the moms are pretty sure that's it. They're not sure they're going to right. do anymore. So actually quite a few of them are going to be single, uh, only children. Sorry, that's what they call them. Only children. And so they don't have that big. So maybe if I had had a whole bunch of kids before, or if I was really close and had three, right, then my bandwidth for more family wouldn't necessarily be there. But because I don't have that, yeah. and because you know, a number of these other moms also don't have that, that we are seeing that in each other and that our kids are only children to only a certain extent. Amazing. Maybe. Although it's something that will come up. I've told them all about this podcast. They're all super stoked. I hope that they will listen to it and I'm sure it'll bring up um, questions and I hope I didn't put my foot in my mouth. I'm sorry, Bill, <laughs> if I put my foot in my mouth in anything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I just can't wait to see how it and how Ren no response to it. Amazing. Oh, it's been so amazing talking to you about it. It's made me definitely want to, <laughs> to try to find uh, donor siblings even more. So um, for anybody who has used Manchester Fertility, which is the, the clinic I use, I have started a uh, WhatsApp group um, where we have had quite a few people having matches. If they did an introduction on just the people who'd use the donor, that would be <laughs> so much easier. But the, there's lots of different groups for different sperm banks. So there are lots of people trying to make these connections. And um, yeah, let's see, maybe the sperm banks will make it easier in the future um, by helping to facilitate some of that, like yours has. It would be amazing. I really hope so. And again, like it's your choice. Like I didn't have to. I I could have been brought mm. in and just you know not replied and that was that you know and yeah. um and then that would have been my choice and um yet it was really nice to be given 
having the option. Yeah. So let's advocate for that a little bit more and get Definitely. some of these sperm banks on board. Um, because the other thing is, it's like really nice to know that they're not necessarily going to run into each other right later in life or, you know, at a bar or something like that. So it's, um, it's nice that they are connected. Uh, it is. And I think a lot of um, people are struggling with the idea of should I DNA test my child, especially when they're so young. And but it's it's kind of some people's only option. And so this process means that you don't need to do that, and you won't find relatives that you're not looking for. You'll or just that aren't find for you. Yeah, exactly. So this is such a, a better way of making that happen in a in a more controlled environment. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about, which we won't talk about is you know jack and jack's family mm. and jack's parents or mm. siblings right mm. so all of a sudden jack's mom has a right so that's a whole other can of worms that we have talked a little bit on our chat of what that will look like for him if he you know chooses to engage or is still around i mean who knows what happens in 18 years it's a long time but he's got a family or what if he's married and has kids then all of a sudden his kids have what so they may or may not be interested in knowing us as much as we might be interested in knowing them and so that's a whole other side of things that i'm sure you you know might be able to get into if you talk to donors but i don't know right if this is um part of it but anyways that's like a whole other side of things that's of that's next aren't looking for you Next on my list is to talk to some sperm donors about their experience and, and why they've donated. I think that would be really fascinating to, to, to talk to some sperm donors. So next series. Yeah, next <laughs> series. Oh, wonderful, Mel. Just wonderful. Brilliant. Oh, well, so lovely to chat to you. So wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for giving up your precious hour. Absolutely. My <laughs> really great. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, it'd mean a lot to me if you'd take a few minutes to rate, review and subscribe. If you'd like to learn more of what's on offer at The Stork and I, head over to my website, thestalkandi.com or follow me on Instagram at thestalkandi with underscores between the words. You can hear more about the coaching I offer as well as hear from donor-conceived adults, industry experts and the opportunity to meet and become a part of the Solo Motherhood community.